you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. It's so good to see you all. I have been gone for three weeks for various reasons, and I am grateful to be back worshiping with you. What does that mean that I've been gone for three weeks? That means I haven't preached in three weeks. You've already gotten like a sermon and a half before the actual sermon. That's what happens when you give a preacher some time off, as he's got, he's got some things he wants to say. But another thing about being gone three weeks is I miss New Hope. I just mentioned to someone earlier that I was out of coffee at the house, and the next thing I know, coffee shows up. And so if you're a guest, this is New Hope. We love one another, we care for one another, we hear about needs, and we just bless people. And so I'm going to honor the hot coffee that was just brought to me, and every once in a while, I'm going to sip on that hot, hot coffee um, as a way to just say thank you for the coffee. Um, but I, I use that illustratively to say I love New Hope. I'm grateful for the family that is here, uh, miss worshiping with you all the last few weeks. We are beginning a new series uh, that is going to just kind of carry us for the next four weeks that is um, going to set kind of a theme for the year. So this could be a vision casting type day or a vision casting uh, type Sunday and series. And the idea, we have um, values, we'll talk about two categories for those that are somewhat new to New Hope. We have two categories of things we're going to talk about in this explanation. We have values as a church, things that we put emphases on. You've heard me talk about that a moment ago in reading scripture. But then we also have life marks. Life marks are, are measures of maturity that we're seeking to live by. And we are naming this series after our life mark of living sent. That as Christians, a mature Christian lives sent to the world around them. That we recognize that God's given us a mission. That's going to be the overall theme for this series. But then we also have a value that we call restorative engagement. That talks about the type of engagement we want to have when we live sent. That we are called to live sent meaning outward, the church doesn't just gather, but it also scatters. So it lives sent to the world around them. And then as we live sent, we value on engaging the community around us in a restorative way. So let me talk about what I mean by restorative, but let me go ahead and read our passage together in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what is known as the Great Commission, and we'll unpack it in a moment. But when we talk about restorative engagement, I used this illustration back in November or December. But when we talk about restorative engagement, and we talk about evangelism, or we talk about outreach, we use this um, concentric circles to kind of give a description of what we mean. Oftentimes, you have churches who rightfully so emphasize social issues or physical issues within the community or within people's lives, whether that may be housing needs, whether that may be racial needs, whether that may be financial or food, but they see physical needs in individuals' lives 
or in systems and structures in the community. And they go, this is not as God intended it to be. And therefore, we should seek change in those physical needs. And as I started that description, I said, yes, Christians and churches rightfully so see that. But then there's other churches that also rightfully so say that the greatest need that any one person has is that they are separated from God and due to their sin and their rebellion against God and Christ has come, he was uh, born, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected to life in order to offer eternal life, John 3.16. And I would say, yes, churches rightfully so emphasize that. And if you had to get me to say which is greater, I, I would say, well, one is at the center, spiritual. I would argue and say, yes, at the core of everything that is broken in this world, is because there's a brokenness in relationship between God and his people that he has created. But that is not the only thing that is broken. And that is not the only thing that the gospel speaks to. And so we use this diagram, hopefully you can do, see it, but it's spiritual in the middle, psychological, social, and nature, or natural needs. Now, we probably could have given other descriptions, but this is just a general way to say When we talk about restorative engagement, what we're saying is we believe the gospel speaks to both physical and spiritual needs in people's lives. And when we live sent as a church, we believe the gospel speaks to those spiritual and physical needs. Let me, I'll come back to this graph and, or this picture and unpack it, but let me, let's, we value scripture. Let's make sure I'm not just making this up. Matthew chapter 11 John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and ask the question, hey, are you the Messiah or we should be looking for someone else? They're asking, are you the Messiah? What's the answer he gives? Go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What was the answer that he gave? The answer that he gave was, Good news is being preached. But guess what? Other needs are also being met. The blind are seeing. Lives are being changed. The answer to the question, is Jesus the Messiah? And is he bringing his kingdom impact? The answer is both physical, spiritual, internal, and external needs are all being met. Another passage of scripture, Luke chapter 9, verse 6 And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Quick context, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. So he sends them out. That's the they. They departed. The 12 disciples departed. They went through all the villages and towns, preaching the good news of the gospel. So telling people about the need to respond and the need and the reality that Jesus has come. And they were healing everywhere. The gospel coming into people's lives was impacting both internal, spiritual, and external, physical. You go to Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72. The exact same thing happens. They preach the gospel. The kingdom comes. They preach the gospel, spiritual and physical. I'm laying this as a foundation to mean what we mean by restorative engagement. When we talk about what it means to be a church that lives sent, We say, yes, let's be a church that recognizes that the greatest need is that eternally we are separated from God because of our sin. But through faith, nothing you and I can do to earn it. 
but because of the free gift of Jesus that he has given us, when we receive his grace through faith, our sins are forgiven, that we are made righteous, that we are given the righteousness of Christ, and we are redeemed and restored back into relationship with him for all eternity. Amen. Yes. But also we recognize that there, this world is not as it should be and that God's kingdom through his church, that we're on mission with him as we preach the gospel, we see restoration take place. We also recognize that sometimes before somebody will ever listen to our message of the good news of Jesus, they got to first know that we care about them. And so sometimes the outward, natural, or the social issues that a church addresses is not a means to an end per se, but it is a maybe a road in which we have the right to preach the gospel. Have you ever heard that nobody will listen to what you say until they know that you care? Or something to that nature. Well, this, we recognize that maybe we also engage physical needs because there's a brokenness and the gospel speaks to that hope. And we recognize that there are physical needs and teaching needs that happens. Just a quick side note. This is one of the reasons why even there within the church, there's always been kind of two main offices within the church. Pastors and elders and deacons. And when we see in the New Testament, pastors and elders are primarily responsible for the teaching ministries of the church, and deacons are primarily responsible for the physical need ministries of the church. Because we see the New Testament shows that psychological and spiritual is often done through pastors and through counseling, the teaching ministries of the congregation. And then social issues and natural physical issues are often done through the deacon ministry of the church. Because we recognize both ministries. So I'm just laying a foundation that when we talk about in this next year, that our emphasis is that we want to ask the question, how can we live sense as a congregation in order to engage our city in a restorative fashion? We're not just referring to sharing the words of the gospel, but we're also talking about the hope of the gospel and the redemption that it brings in both spiritual and physical needs within a congregation. This next year, Lord willing, we have the privilege of sending out almost a third of our membership to plant Cross Island Church in, in the Nassau County area. We don't, we don't have a specific location yet, but we're trying to focus on the East Meadow area. They've voted on a name Cross Island Church because part of the vision is to see the cross of Jesus go across the island. See the play on words there? Yeah, it's real creative, I know. I agree. And, and so that's part of the vision, and that's part of New Hope's vision. But as we send it out, we're sending out a, a church and a group to what? Live sent, to live on mission, to go into a new community in order to preach the gospel and see redemption and restoration. But what that also means for New Hope is we are sending out core leaders. We are sending out people. It's going to, in a good way, cause us here at New Hope, here in Queens, to reposition, to go, hey, we too need to get back to kind of the church planting phase where we are intentionally asking the questions, how can we continue to engage our community better? I'll share more about how we're doing that at the end of the service, but that's what this series is about. So kind of an intro to the series, I want to take just the next 15 minutes and try to unpack Matthew chapter 28 for us. I want to put this picture on the screen. This is a graph of Matthew 28 that's uh, broken down in the form and the flow of the argument. 
This is going to get technical for a second because it's going to help us see the argument. Why is that? If you're familiar with Matthew 28, it's, it's a famous text within the church to talk about the mission of the church. So rightfully so, we're going to talk about it. And the text goes, and I'm going to come back here for a second. It says, go and, oh, wrong one. Different go. There's a lot of goes today. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. A lot of times when we come to Matthew chapter 28, because we see here, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, we'll see a series, let's say, on Matthew 28, and the series might be titled Go. I remember going to a missions conference once, and the theme was Matthew 28, and the banner in the name of the conference was Go, dot, dot, dot. As if to say that the Great Commission is just simply telling us to go. But I want us to see, and this is the reason why I'm breaking it down for us a little bit, to help us understand that actually the imperative in this text is not to go. It's not the word go. That's not to say this word isn't important, but let me just give me a moment and let me explain. I've highlighted for us, and maybe if I underlined it, it might make it a little bit easier. But this word here, oh, I got red and red. That might be difficult to see. Uh, So hopefully not. Um, but these words here are highlighted in yellow and red, and then, I just co- and then I just outlined them in more red, so a lot of red. But these two words, the fact that they're highlighted in yellow and red is telling us tonight that these are the two imperatives in the text. If I tell um, my children, if I say, get up and clean your room, what am I telling them to do? Clean the room. But in order to clean the room, they have to what? Stop watching TV, get their rear ends off the couch, and go to the room. That is precisely what's happening in this text. The imperative, go and make disciples. The imperative, get up and clean your room. The imperative is make disciples. Two imperatives, make disciples and behold. We'll come to that one in a second. The go is important. Don't get me wrong. But it is subordinate in the same way, get up and clean your room. The get up is subordinate to clean your room. The get up is a, is a prerequisite command that they have to do in order to clean their room. Well, here Jesus is telling his disciples that actually the mission I'm giving you is to go make disciples, but you got to get up from where you are. You got to get off this mountain in Galilee and you got to go to the nations. That's why in Acts, Jesus would say, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's this outward trajectory. This is so important, understanding that these are Jewish men listening to this command. And up to this point in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was God's place, and you came to Jerusalem to meet God. If you wanted to meet God, you came to Jerusalem. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, no longer do people got to go to Jerusalem. No longer do people have to walk in a church building to hear my name. But you, as my disciples, are called to go and tell others the good news of Jesus. Tell others what I have done for them and make disciples that you are to go. So understand that it's it's a shift that is happening to come to Jerusalem for people to hear to now you are to go to them. Now, again, this is important because what? For thousands of years, Judaism has been an insular community. 
in all forms of respect, we still see that in New York City today. We still see the insularness of some Jewish communities. Well, imagine you are being told to leave that insular community that you've been in for hundreds and thousands of years, and you are to go to people who over centuries, which is true in the Old Testament, have hurt you and abused you. This is the story of Jonah, by the way. To go to those who have hurt you, to go to your enemies, to go to those who are not like you. They eat differently than you. They think differently than you. They look differently than you. You are to go. He's not just telling them to move, but he's telling them to move to a people that they often have not gotten along with. We see this story play out in John chapter 4 when they go to Samaria. When Jesus is talking to Samaritan woman, the disciples are like, what are you doing talking to her? Because of these racial tensions. But Jesus is saying, you are to now cross those racial tensions. Now you understand how vital the go is. And you are to make disciples. But for the sake of time, I want us to ask the question, well, if the command is not to go, but it's a prerequisite for the real command, which is to make disciples, well, what does it mean then to make disciples? Well, he gives us that answer with these words that are highlighted in blue, baptize and teach. There are two parts to what it means to make disciples that he gives from the text. We're going to unpack both of them, but then we're going to spend the next three weeks really just talking about this first one, which is baptize. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Two things I want us to see as we talk about baptize. One, that baptize means baptize. Not confusion here. That actually means he's talking about baptize. But we've got to ask the question, What exactly is baptism in the New Testament? Well, baptism is a representation. It's a testimony. It is how people would confess Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of their lives. Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and he preaches. And the people ask the question after they've been convicted by the sermon, what must we do to be saved? And he says, believe and be baptized. And the idea is that baptism is the response in one's life to evangelism. So to baptize someone in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit makes an assumption or presumes that evangelism has taken place. That you have gone, as we would see with the Ethiopian eunuch, that the, Philip would preach to this Ethiopian eunuch, he would be convicted, and then he would respond in that evangelism through baptism. So Let's just say it this way. Baptism means baptism, but it's also, secondly, a response to evangelism. So as if to say, make disciples, the first step is to evangelize. It's to go and tell people about the good news of Jesus in order for them to confess Jesus through baptism. There's more that could be said about baptism in the picture of salvation. Let me give one more illustration. In the Old Testament, baptism existed in the Old Testament. Baptism is not a New Testament thing only. But the difference is in the Old Testament, there's archaeological digs that have pictures of this, that there used to be baptistries all the way around synagogues and temples and towns. And why were they there? Because every time they would go into worship, they would get baptized as an act of cleansing in order to go into God's presence. So when Jesus comes along and says, hey, you don't have to get baptized a whole bunch of times. Because when you get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into the good news of Jesus, you're being baptized and cleansed once and for all, for all eternity. So Jesus doesn't, he takes the Jewish tradition of baptism that would happen regularly, just like we wash our hands regularly. Why do we wash our hands regularly? Because germs get back on our hands. 
And we need to because one washing isn't sufficient. So in Jewish custom, baptism, which was a picture of the cleansing of, to make you righteous to go into God's presence, was not sufficient to last. So they would do it week after week after week. But when Jesus comes along and says, through my good news, you are cleansed once and for all, for all eternity. It is sufficient. You never need to be baptized again. As if to say that you are to introduce people to the good news, allow them to step in through the act of baptism as a picture of a response to their faith. But then he says that you are to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. I think one of the things that I want to harp on today to make sure we get is that a lot of times when we think about evangelism, it's rightfully so going and telling people about the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done for them, and that people respond in faith to that message. But I want us to see that that is not the entirety of our mission. That is a vital first step in our mission, but our mission goes beyond just someone responding in faith, but it's to what? Obey and observe all that I've commanded of you. Why? Because at the core of it, we believe that what God has commanded of us is what is best for us. Brings us back to this text we've been on already today. Blessed is the man or the person who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Why would Jesus tell us to go on mission to make disciples, which to make disciples is to evangelize them, have them respond in faith, be baptized, and then to teach them, and to teach them, and to teach them to what? Be faithful to what I have commanded of them. We have two ways to look at that. One is we look at that in a way that God is an angry, judgmental, I gave you a rule, I'm telling you to obey the rule, do it, doesn't matter why, I'm the boss, I told you to do it, so do it. And I think sometimes that's actually how a lot of us look at God's word. But the reason why I've emphasized Psalms 1 today is because I want us to see that God gives us his commandments not to be an angry father just to give us rules. Sometimes I think New York City has some dumb rules just for some dumb rules. I do. I get tickets for all kinds of things. I'm like, what do, why am I getting a ticket for this? And sometimes if we're not careful, we, we think that's how God rules over us. But we're misjudging his character because he's a God who made us out of love and care and desires what's best for us. And the lie from Genesis chapter three from the enemy has always been, God's commandment is not for your good, don't trust it. But in fact, scripture makes it clear. No, I give you commandments for your good. When we say at New Hope that we want to connect people to life satisfied in Jesus, what we mean by that is that we believe Psalms chapter 1, that it's when we're rooted and walking faithfully with God, that's where we'll find our greatest satisfaction. Because that is the life that God has designed for us. We trust him with our lives, not our own. And so when we say teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, it's like that illustration that I said when I have a conversation with my wife, what do you want for dinner? 
It's because I'm asking two things in that moment, or I'm doing two things in that moment. I'm asking what she wants because I can't know what she wants unless she reveals it to me. But once she reveals it to me, I want to give it to her because I love her and I want to honor her and I want to make her happy. And in the same way, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you is us recognizing, God, we can't know what you want unless you've given it to us. And he's saying, I've given it to you, so go teach it to others. And it's us receiving that as going, God, I want to honor you by being faithful. That out of love and delight in you, tell me what you want. I'll be happy to do it. That's the posture of what we are to do in making disciples. And so I ask you this question. Is your life rooted like the tree in Psalm 1, deep in God and his word? And do you believe that that is what is best for you? And I need you to hear me say that I believe that. And I also need you to hear me say, it's really hard to live that. Some days more than others. Because it's so often I begin to go, but God, I don't really understand why you told me to do that. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I've had a lot of conversations over the years as a pastor where I'll counsel someone in what God's word says, and it's a hard truth. And then maybe time will pass and that person oftentimes will come back and go, you know what, I've come to find out that what God's word said really was what was best for me. It's hard to believe it and it's hard to trust it. But might we see God's character and might we trust him? And so when we talk about living sense, we're not just talking about going and sharing the gospel. That's vital. We're going and evangelizing and then we're going and walking with people as they go and surrender their lives to God and his word on a daily basis. And that's a daily journey. And so that happens in community, and that happens as we walk with people. And so in the coming weeks, we'll talk and unpack how we do that more, specifically even so around evangelism. But let me say two things in closing. One is in the last few months, we've had a team in our church that has now officially been kind of given the responsibility and the charge of being our evangelism team, our evangelism committee. Now, I don't like the word committee, Um, but I don't like the word team either. Let me tell you why I don't like both. I don't like the word team because it makes it sound like they're evangelizing and no one else is. Committees just don't like committees. Uh, So we'll just leave it at that. Um, Can I give a quick illustration? Um, What are are a group of dogs called? A pack. uh, Wolves. Uh, Cows. Herd. You want to know what buzzards are called? A committee. All right. Committees do that sometimes in churches. There's like buzzards who just eat dead things. Um, and that's my opinion on committees. <laughs> now, I, you need to understand why I don't like committees. Um, actually, but they are a committee. Evangelism. Can I recover from this now? Okay. <laughs> but we have evangelism team slash committee. They do the work of a committee in leading our church. But they're not, but I'm going to call them team because of what I just said about committee. But they're not a team in the sense of they're the only ones doing evangelism. They're the ones leading our church in evangelism. And so over the next year, they have put some plans together that's going to help our church live sent. Um, we are going to, starting in February, once a month, the goal is the last Sunday of every month, we're going to have a little. Uh, kind of teaching for like 15, 20 minutes after service of, hey, here's one thing that can help you this week as you or this month as you live sent. Here's some ways to pray or here's some tools. 
In addition to those monthly mini-series, we're going to have cohorts that you can sign up for on Saturdays in longer extended periods of times where you can kind of go in depth on some of these things. We want to equip you is what we're trying to say. So we have a team who's saying we're going to make sure that this is a focus of our church because this is the mission God has given us to baptize and to teach. And we want to see all of life transformed, not just people's spiritual lives, but yes, at the core of their spiritual life, but that will transform all of their lives. And we have evangelism committee that is going to do that. And we're going to show more details and talk about more about that as well. And potentially next week, I'm working out the details. It's either going to be next week or February 25th. We have a pastor and a ministry leader coming um, from an organization called Safe Families that's going to come in and talk to us about how we can partner with other uh, parents uh, here in the community to help serve them, not only with families in our church, but families outside of our church. The point is, is we're being very intentional this next year to engage our church in a restorative way. But here's the second thing and last thing that I want to say. The text ends with a command. Not just a promise, but a command. And the command is, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How do you behold that? Like, how do you behold the sentence that comes next? Because he's not telling you to do something. He's telling you to do something here, but he's not giving you a specific. Behold what? Behold the truth that I am with you always until the end of the age. Just being raw and honest for a second, mission is difficult, especially in a place that is skeptical of the Christian faith and is skeptical of the church. And I might admit, rightfully so, for a lot of reasons. There has been a lot of harm done in the name of Jesus over the years through churches in this city and around the globe. We can't deny that. And so, Rightfully so, as we go and live on mission with pure motive and with a good truth of God's gospel, sometimes it's difficult. But when those difficult days come, we must remember that this is the reason and the mission that God has given us as a church, to continue to love those that are even questioning our motives. I had a conversation with a pastor, a group of pastors this week. We were talking about this very thing, and he works in a place where he says, that he didn't grow up in church, but when he started getting involved in churches, he noticed that there were a lot of churches that would do things but for people, minister to people, but when those people didn't come to their church, they would get all upset and they would say statements like, well, why are we doing this? Why do we love them if they're not gonna come to our church? Do you see the problem with that statement and that question right there? And I wanna say that we love people not to fill these pews. We love people because Jesus loves people. And if people ever come to this church or not, that's not on us. We love people and we share the good news of the gospel. We want to see lives changed and transformed. And we trust that God's going to do his redeeming work. But you and I, we don't have ulterior motives. We have one motive. Love is our mission. We love people. We care for people. We teach them about Jesus. And as they respond, Lord willing, we continue to teach them and help them grow. But we serve this city because we love this city. We serve this city because Jesus loves this city and he's called us to love this city. That's our focus for 2024. Would you pray with me? Charles is gonna kind of just play over and sing over us, but here's, here's what I want you to do.
I want you to think about someone right now who God's placing on your heart to use our language to live sent to in the coming days. Who is God calling you to live sent to? And I want you to just take a moment and ask God to, Spirit of God, to give you names. Who are the people that tomorrow you're going to be intentional with at work or school? Or the neighbor? Or the family member? That you say, I'm going to love them because Jesus loves them. And I'm going to love them for the rest of my life whether they ever respond to Jesus or not. I'm just going to love them. I'm going to live sent to them and be intentional with them to show them that the good news of Jesus changes their spiritual and physical life, can transform their life in the same way he's transformed yours. You should be intentional and think of those people. One, two, maybe three names. I want you to pray for them right now that God would give you opportunities just to show his love to care for them, give you the courage to speak the good news of Jesus to them. Pray that the Lord would open their heart. Just pray for them. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.